0: This is Ian Altman, co author of Same Side Selling How Integrity and Collaboration Drive Extraordinary Results for Sellers and Buyers. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello, and welcome to this hopefully
1: short lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host. Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on, they are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at Douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Ian Altman, welcome to Authors in
0: Quarantine Getting Cocktails. What's going on in your quarantined world? Well, my quarantine world, I was told to come here with a cocktail, and indeed I have. Well, you got a gold star for following instructions. You know what? As long as you tell my wife, we're all good. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh, kind of a running joke on the show is uh, that she's already been uh, messaging me saying, please keep him uh, as long as you can uh, on this call.
0: It's so she can have a bit of a break. Um, it's no joke at all. She had asked me, she said, how do I contact him? And how long can this be? Normally she says, how long are you going to be? In this case, she said, how long can this be? And I said, well, you know, I don't think it's going to be really that long. And she said, well, take as much time. <laughs> is you need to make sure it's thorough just leave me the heck alone
1: this <laughs> uh, so mrs Altman you're welcome we've never met but someday you know you can thank me with a a nice uh a nice red now you are drinking uh red wine you should tell us what kind and
0: you have uh, like a wine cellar don't you you know what? Indeed we do. Um, we do have a wine cellar. Um, I happen to be drinking a 2010 Saxum James Berry Vineyard. And um, it's, Saxum's an amazing producer in the Paso Robles area, one of our favorites. Um, it's very difficult to get. It's the kind of wine that when people either come to our house or if we go someplace and we bring a bottle with us, we'll say, oh my God, it's amazing. Let me take a picture because I want to get some. It's like, yeah, that's just... You don't want to do that to yourself (laughs) because you can't find it. But, um, but it's it's fantastic wine. They make great stuff, and um, it's it's interesting because most people assume we have a cellar, we must drink like fish. In fact, I'm pretty sure the UPS guy believes that. Um, the funny part is that we have about a thousand bottles in our cellar, and if Deborah and I drink a bottle of wine a month, it's a lot. So uh, we tend to bring wine to places to share, Mm -hmm. but otherwise. We don't drink that much. It's more. It's become like a hobby to collect and share. So we'll go to dinner with friends, a place where you can bring wine, and we'll bring four or five bottles of wine for everyone to share. That's pleasurable to us to share a great wine with with friends of ours.
1: Well, I live in the next state, and uh, you know, as it relates to you guys not drinking that much wine, I can help. You know, I I can make myself available. I always
0: appreciate people taking one for the team.
1: Well, you know, I suffer for my art, as I like to say. So, sure. Now, you're in uh, Maryland. You're in uh, where
0: Rockville? Rockville, Maryland, which is just outside of Washington, D.C. Okay. Excellent. Don't hold that against me.
1: Yes. Well, um, <laughs> now, Ian Altman was quite recently on the Marketing Book Podcast, episode 267. This week, uh, I'm publishing episode 279. So, that was back in February of this year, back sure. when we had a normal... Life in a normal world, how I long for February of 2020. <laughs>
0: Sounds it's, crazy, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I should remind listeners because I heard uh, from a lot of folks that listened to that episode, it was very popular. And was it in part because you also included a book that I could give away to the audience? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe <if> I, <laughs> it was, that's a terrific book. It's one that uh, it got me thinking. And it even before I even interviewed you. I was already doing some things uh, that you outlined in the book, but I should remind folks that I would ask Ian to tell us about himself, but he's, uh, you know, he doesn't want to talk about himself. So I've got some notes here. <laughs> he spent two decades as a founder and CEO of a professional services consulting company, and then a software company. And then he combined uh, and then sold his companies and, and he served as the managing director of the acquiring company. And then in the next three years, he grew the valuation 20 fold to more than $1 billion. You got to have the pink in your mouth when you do it. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm all about Dr. Evil. And uh, shout out to all my listeners in uh, Belgium which that's where Dr. (laughs) Evil is from. And no one thinks that's funny. evil doctor. (laughs) He went to evil medical school, unlike (laughs) his son, who is the margarine of evil, the Diet Coke of evil, (laughs) not evil enough. So, but that's real impressive and that's interesting. And, you know, uh, a feat most of us will never accomplish. But what's really important is that Ian Altman was a child actor. In in <laughs> Hollywood, right? Indeed, yep, I was. And so, I've this. You're the second uh, child actor that I've interviewed on uh, authors in quarantine getting cocktails because I also interviewed
0: your friend Andrew Davis. I lost all my gigs to Andrew Davis. <laughs> oh, really.
1: And so when I talked to Andrew I said, you know, it's so great to know you and Ian and to know that something good happens to a child actor because it seems like there's I only hear about child actors that just you know, had really rough times after their after that or during that period of their life and just for the rest of their lives they're they're trying to recover from that. Many are in recovery. And Andrew then explained to me that that only happens to really good
0: child actors. Absolutely (laughs) true. Absolutely true. The really good ones have problems. People like me, and I'm assuming Andrew was much better than I was, but um, people like us, um, you know, it's you really don't have to worry about the fame and um, and money going to your head. It's rather just a whole bunch of work, and then you wonder one day why you're doing this. Mm.
1: (laughs) So, Ian, there's a. A story or two about you in quarantine. And I was wondering if you could tell the story of your daughter being overseas in Colombia just as it was shutting down.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, was mid March. And our daughter, who for the this entire academic year studied abroad. So she spent the first semester in Mexico City, the second semester in Cali, Colombia. And no, she's not a Spanish major. She's an international business major at Tulane. In fact, she'll be starting her senior year in the fall. And so hopefully you know, at junior, Tulane. Hopefully at Tulane. Well, you know what? Tulane's pretty, pretty uh, progressive that way. I think. They already said, "Yeah, we're going to be here." So we hope you are too. Oh, good for them! And, um, and they and they, I think that'll probably uh, that'll probably move forward fine. So, in this international business program, there was someone who set up the program and was very generous in in helping set this up. Who, prior to this, prior to setting up this this program, had commented to the people at Tulane, "Hey, what's with you guys?" I keep interviewing people who claim to have international business experience. They've never lived outside of the country. They don't understand other cultures. What's going on. The Dean, uh, this is by legend. The Dean said, well, I mean, if we're going to do that, it would cost millions of dollars. This guy's a fund manager out of New York. He said, well, how much? And the guy told him, he took out his checkbook and said, make it happen. And now my daughter is one of the 20 students each year is in this program. And, um, And so they have a total of a max of 80 students across all four years who go through this program. And so there she was in Cali, Columbia. We were contacting her and said, hey, look, you got to get out of there. You're not going to be able to get home. And she said, no, you know, I've got a friend coming to visit me. Everything's fine. There's nothing going on here. And we're like, no, no, you don't understand. And, of course, three days later, she says to me, um, they're sitting on the country. I gotta get out. Like, yeah, that's what we've been saying for the last three days. But of course, she's 20, so she already knows everything. Well, and, and the worst person to hear it from would be dad. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's kind of a tie between me and Deborah, but um, I think that indeed she didn't want to hear it from either of us because she had already had plans. And so now all of a sudden we have to get her back. And thankfully, you know, for for all the negative things we say about airlines. Um, the people at United airlines did an amazing job. Now, admittedly, I've flown over a million miles with United airlines. I spend a a obscene amount of money each year with them. I'm someone they treat as one of their better customers. I sent an email to my contact and said, Hey, Rachel's in Columbia. As you know, we're trying to get her back. I've been on hold. Haven't been able to reach anybody. Do you have any suggestions? And this person wrote back as an, as the executive level United and said, when you he need her to travel, I'll take care of it. And everything got arranged and she arrived home. And when I went to pick her up at the airport, this is Reagan national airport in the Washington DC area. I was one of, I think three cars in the parking lot. The entire <laughs> oh, airport wow. was like empty. And normally, normally you could drive up five levels and, and end up parking basically in an Altoids tin or something that size. Cause the spaces are so tight. And I just pulled up to the parking space right in front of the door, walked, walked across the, uh, the sky bridge. She comes off her plane. I see her. She walks out. We, we go down to baggage claim. Her bag is waiting there. Now keep in mind, we know that her bag was on the plane with her and she was coming from Columbia. So she had a couple of big bags. There were five people on her flight. Oh, wow. her flight, her, her bag was sitting there. I get her bags, walk out of the car. Boom. We're home. And of course, there's no traffic anymore. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's in DC, the traffic capital yeah, of the country. It's in DC. Normally, if I knew when our flight was coming in, it would be like, all right, I got to leave an hour and a half before a flight just to get there, even though <laughs> it's 20 miles. My, yeah, not anymore. So it was, and at the same time, my wife was going to um, help our son get moved out from the Ohio State University, where he's a student, because he had come home for spring break. And then during spring break, they said, oh, by the way, no more school. We're going to do everything remotely. So you got to come get your stuff, which. So she and your son had to
1: drive back to Columbus to get everything.
0: Yeah, Yeah, So so they went back to Columbus and got it at the same time. Rachel was arriving from Columbia. And so I said, well, look, I can drive with him. And she said, yeah, if there's something that gets messed up in the flight, you know who to contact and how to do it. Oh yeah, I'll go drive with him. You pick her up. And you know, it was, it was interesting because at the time, we didn't know Alan was going to take her to clear customs immigration because people were saying we're telling nightmare stories. It was taking five, six hours. We, we had given her a five hour layover um, to get her connecting flight to DC. And she said she was through with her bags in 15 minutes from when she landed. My goodness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. My daughter came home from her senior year in college and for spring break. And they sent an email and said, <clears throat> don't come back. Um, and we, then they said can't do graduation ceremony either, which pretty, pretty much became the the standard for everybody yep. that was in uh, was in college. So, Ian, one question that I've heard a lot from authors like yourself—they're uh, not asking this, but they're getting this question—and I'm hearing this is people are saying, "Is it okay to sell
0: during the pandemic?" It, What's your response to that? Well, I, I've got a few thoughts on it, as you might imagine, or oh. you wouldn't have asked the question. <laughs> Given your book, yes. But, but, but I have a few thoughts on it. The first is that you need to be hyper aware of where your clients are right now, meaning you can't be someone who's metaphorically trying to sell wallpaper to someone whose house is on fire. Mm. Um, so. If you're dealing with clients who let's say let's say your primary client was was the cruise industry <laughs> you're going to need you're going to need to modify what you're doing because unless you have something really compelling it's not going to matter to them. So the first thing we have to do is show empathy and be helpful. And we have to do an honest assessment of where people are at. Meaning do I have something that would be really helpful for them to navigate the time they're in? Now, you also can't assume that if your business is struggling, that theirs is struggling because mm-hmm. I, I, I recently was talking to somebody and they were, they were laughing because they got a, they got a cold call and the, and the person said, well, I know business are struggling and we can help you get more clients. Would you like to hear more about that? And the guy said, no, don't call me again. He hung up. Now it happens to be the person they called runs a, um, a laboratory testing company. So, Those scientific testing companies are pretty busy right now Mm -hmm. testing, testing for all sorts of different things. So the first thing you have to do is realize that not everyone's in the same position you as you good or bad. And then in these times, what you have to do is pivot whatever you're offering to align with what's most important for your clients. So if you were, if you were pitching to someone in hospitality and you had an offering that help them navigate coming out of a crisis and getting a disproportionate amount of clients coming out of crisis, you have something to talk about. If you're trying to sell shower curtains right now, Is probably not the time. Mm -hmm.
1: So cruise industry, great example, probably the most extreme. What, let's say you do sell something, the cruise industry. It seems to me you could still be reaching out to your customers, at least just to, to at least say hello and ask, What's going on there? Could you couch it by saying, "Look, I realize you guys are probably not buying anything, but I wanted to find out—you know—get a firsthand uh,
0: accounting of, of what's going on there." Yeah, you, you don't even—you don't even have to say, "Hey, Rose, you're not buying anything." You can just say, "Hey, you know, I'm reading all the news, and it's got to be tough. Um, what's going on, and how might we be able to help?" Mm-hmm. Great. You know, for, forget about what our products and services are, but. How might we be able to help? And they might say, oh, well, one of the biggest challenges we're facing is X and y. Or if you said, let's, let's say like in, in, you know in, in your um, non-podcast business as a digital agency, this is not a business. Let's just be real clear about that.
1: <laughs> this is like an occupational
0: hobby. But please, go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, I, I host a podcast, too. I totally understand. <laughs> and um, and pe- by the way, people always ask me, well, you could really monetize it. Yeah, I could. I just don't really care. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but but the in, in your marketing business, you could reach out to people, see how things are going, and, hey, what does the future look like for you? And they might say, "Well, you know, we're trying to figure out when this is all over, um, what we do and how how we come out of this." Mm-hmm. And then you might say, "You know, actually, with some other clients, we've talked about some specific campaign ideas on how we can make it so that the moment people are comfortable booking cruises, that you're top of mind is that worth discussing?" Mm-hmm. And now it's like, oh, yeah, that now you became relevant. But if you don't have something that's relevant, then you're just going to come across like all of these peddlers who the one thing I've noticed post-COVID is I get inundated with pathetic marketing pitches from people saying, oh, I can help you with a combination of phone and LinkedIn and email messages. And I'm thinking, you mean as poor as this one? Yeah, no <laughs> thanks. <laughs> right? It's just awful. And it's just people who were, they, they just have desperation in their font. Yes, commission oh, breath. I can smell yeah. it through
1: the through the computer.
0: Exactly. It's like it's like. Oh my God! Not not only do you sound desperate, but you're using comic Sans. I can tell <laughs> you're in trouble. Oh man, I'm feeling so kind of sorry for him at this point.
1: So, is there anything that's really surprised you, uh, good or bad, that you've seen coming
0: out of this uh, this this quarantine era? Um, you know what? One of the things that I, that I'm seeing that actually is, is somewhat encouraging is a, a lot of my business historically has been speaking from stages mm-hmm. and ironically, the clients who get the most value from what I do, it tends to be much more a multi-stage process where I might speak at an event, but it's, there's work we do leading up to it to define their messaging. There's work we do after to reinforce concepts and, Sadly, many organizations say, no, no, we just want someone to come speak at our event. And they're paying, uh, and admittedly, a fair amount of money for me to come speak for 40 minutes, an hour, something like that. Now, people are saying, yeah, so, so what can we do to really make an impact and measure the results, which is something that I preach all the time. So it's music to my ears. So it's actually getting people to say, you know, it's not just about the event. We actually want to make a difference, which is really encouraging to see. The other thing that I think is fascinating is that when all this COVID stuff started, my first thought was how do I simulate a keynote address electronically and virtually? That and was what the I first just, thing you thought. Well, it was well, I don't know if it was the first thing. The first thing was probably a bunch of profanity, but then <laughs> shortly thereafter and then I inventoried the wine cellar. Well, you've got and both then, the kids
1: home, you got the wine yeah, cellar full. I don't I'm not sure what the other you know, there, is there anything else on
0: uh, Ian Altman's hierarchy of needs? <laughs> well, so, so my, my point is from a business standpoint, it was, okay, so all these in-person events can't happen. So now I need to create the same experience electronically. And the reality is, no, I don't. In fact, this will sound weird, but the online interaction can actually be more personalized and more intimate than the in-person stage presentation. Hmm. How so? And so, and so as I've been doing these events, what happens is someone can, someone can raise their hand in zoom and ask a question and you can have a one-on-one conversation with them. So you're in the middle of everybody instead of speaking from the stage to everybody it's much more of a conversation. Oh, I see. And, okay. and for me, I get to roll up my sleeves more and say, okay, so tell me about that issue. Let's work through that. Let's role play it. And I don't have the time delay of now we have to get that person up on stage. We have to get a microphone to him. We have to like, there's all these things that just delay, delay the process. Hmm. And what I can do now is I can say to people, okay, in this concept we just covered there's a, there's a course and a specific lesson about that in the Same Side Selling Academy, boom, you can go reinforce that tomorrow, next week, next month, and that's going to stay with you. As opposed to before the people are in the room, I can give them the same, the same access to that content, but because they're not in front of their computer at the time, it doesn't always happen. As opposed to in these digital environments, the follow-through I'm seeing is much better. And the irony is that the people who are contacting me are actually saying, okay, this is all great. Um, I love all the digital stuff. Can we also schedule some in-person stuff in October, November? Because we think that's when we'll be back to doing stuff in person. Hmm. And so I figured it would be an alternative. And instead, I'm actually pleasantly surprised. Now, it may not be the same for every speaker. It may not be the same for every industry. And admittedly, I don't typically speak at, at generic conferences, it's more in-house programs for larger companies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a we still don't know if October, November, you're going to be on the plane yet. Yeah, but, you know, I will be because I'm I'm crazy that way. And I look at it as, you know, Debra, Debra's got a business that's all focused on gut health and and gut biome and how you maintain your immune system. And she's convinced that, like, we're not going to catch this because now, admittedly, I think I had it um, very early in the process. Oh, really? But yeah, but you know what? I I haven't been tested yet, so I don't I don't want to I don't want to play the pity card from anybody. And I lived, in case anyone's curious. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> in case anyone's wondering at home, I lived. And um, but it was there was a colleague of mine who, in his case, he was hospitalized. We were treating him for pneumonia. In my case, the doctor thought I had pneumonia, but nothing showed up on the X-ray. Which it turns out, in COVID patients. They don't see anything on the x-ray they only see it in an MRI. I had a fever for about 3 weeks. I had trouble breathing, upper respiratory, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and came through it. He told me a couple of weeks ago, "Oh, I never told you that these friends of ours we had dinner with, she's a physician and had just come back from 3 weeks in Wuhan." Oh, you're kidding. No. And I was like, "Oh, yeah, thanks for leaving that out." <laughs> well, now so, when when did this happen to you? This was late December. That's, it so had to be. I may have been be. case three. <laughs> I may have been case three wow. in the United States, but thankfully, you know, it was it was awful, and I felt miserable. But I didn't actually fear for my life. I mean, I, it was. It, it's interesting because <laughs> this is like one of these bizarre things. As a speaker, one of the things that you learn from speech pathologists is that if your throat is sore, if you're if you're if your throat is hurting from speaking too much, don't waste your time with lozenges and with um and with drinking stuff because none of those things actually reach your vocal cords. But instead, what you do is you breathe in hot steam. and there's a company that makes this device that you breathe in steam that helps make helps relieve um any discomfort you have from a respiratory or from your vocal cord standpoint. And so as I was having trouble breathing, multiple times during the night, I would get up and I would spend 15 minutes just breathing hot steam in. And then the research they're sharing right now says that one of the things that that coronavirus doesn't respond well to, um, the two things are heat and moisture. And so, of course, it wasn't like, oh, I know what this is, I'll do this. It was just, wow, I'm having trouble breathing, I wonder if this will help. And maybe it had an effect and maybe it didn't. But um, uh, so I'm very interested in getting tested once a reliable test comes out. My doctor said, look, I'm 95% certain this is what you had. And I'm also 99% certain that the tests they're giving right now aren't really telling us much. So let's wait until there's a reliable test. And I said, okay, because that's what I do when someone says something that makes sense.
1: So then it's likely you might not or you might have an antibody at this point.
0: You know what? Who knows? If I had it, and if I had a strong enough case, which I probably did, and you know, there's a whole bunch of ifs. But yeah, I'd I'd, I'd hop on a plane, sure. <laughs> My goodness.
1: Yeah, I wonder if folks that traveled more uh, were much more likely to have have got those things. But you see, Ian, when you said you went to somebody else's house for dinner, I immediately thought, I bet he brought them some wine too.
0: I probably did. <laughs> yeah, see,
1: now you got to stop doing that. You got to let me come over and help you with that. But yeah, you know, just, just an idea, just an idea. See, I couldn't have, my wife and I couldn't have a wine cellar with a thousand bottles because you know what that would look like to us? A, <laughs> a big to-do list. Or a big vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We would feel compelled to get to work on it rather than <laughs> collecting it. But you know, we're all we're all a little bit different. So. Do you think that all of this is going to have any permanent effect on on how
0: sales are done? Uh, yeah, I do. I actually do because I think what's happening is people who were convinced there's no way I can do this business without being in person have now figured out ways to do business without being in person. So people, I, I do a lot of work with companies in the wealth management space. And nearly every one of them would have said in the past, oh, yeah, everything has to be in person. There's no way. You 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 have to do everything in person. That's our business. It's the way it operates. Mm-hmm. And in coaching a bunch of clients, because I work with clients remotely as well and have for years, and those clients I coach, we've now helped build their skills for handling initial meetings and final meetings and All, you know, client onboarding all remotely, digitally. And all of a sudden they're saying, you know, maybe we don't need to have everybody to this fancy steakhouse for a seminar. Maybe we can do these webinars online. (laughs) I understand. Yeah. I mean, some of us would prefer to go there and they might get a different turnout. But the bottom line is people have now figured out a way. And what happens is people have gotten much better at being concise. Mm. because they would give these these seminars at a fancy restaurant and that'd spend 45 minutes to an hour going through their material and we've now compressed those to a webinar that's 15 minutes oh interesting and if and if you ask me gee what's the difference between the hour long presentation and the 15 minute presentation the major difference is how long it took <laughs> but <laughs> The content is essentially the same.
1: Yeah. Well, Ian, if any of those clients of yours have uh, steakhouse gift cards that are about to expire again, I'm here to help. Okay. You know, I don't want to see that stuff go to, go to waste, but let I'll, me- I'll BCC you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so that's interesting that you are training these folks on what they need to do to try to transition virtually. What have been the biggest challenges in trying to get these folks to transition to this virtual approach? and i'm 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 wondering what those who were the most diehard
0: opponents of this what what they're facing and what they're well, learning? A, part part of it is the learning curve of the technology. So what will happen is part of it is knowing where to position your camera and what type of microphone and how to make sure that you're delivering something because, Anything in your background, anything in your, in your screen resolution, in the sound of your audio, if you're in the business of trust, which is what most sales happens to be, then that can erode that level of trust. And if you seem scattered o- electronically, the client doesn't, doesn't think to themselves, oh, they're probably just not familiar with the technology. The client says, well, they're just not confident. I don't know if I want to do business with them. So, part of it is is crossing that hurdle and getting comfortable with this new technology. The other big hurdle that they face is, man, I, I know how to build rapport with somebody in person, but how do I do it electronically?" And the answer is it's pretty much the same way. Most of it comes down to empathy and asking questions about them, but you're introducing new parameters, and people all of a sudden say, "Well, so, so what do I do? Do I get them to click something? Do, how do I get them engaged? It's like, well, you ask them questions about them, knucklehead. Like, how would you be engaged? People would ask about you, and you would be engaged. That's the way it works.
1: Yeah. I recently interviewed Rohit Bargava about a book that he's rushed to market on virtual meetings and virtual yep. work. And I don't know, if you haven't seen it, I'll send you a copy. And people can download a copy for free at nonobvious.com slash virtual. And it was really interesting. and it. It included some of the things you just said right there about how there are certain things you have to uh, work harder at, like empathy and listening. And there's so many other lessons that I've been learning lately, like the idea of using a, a headset and a microphone, for instance. And the reason why that's more important than people realize is because you can then hear them better. Oh yeah. and respond. And of course they can hear you better. And today I was on a Zoom call. Of course a lot of people are on Zoom calls every day now. And I was on one and uh myself and a friend, we were a colleague, we were both had headsets, microphones, sounded real clear. And this another person was there uh, in her living room and you know, she sounded pretty good. We were able to hear her. And this other person was there in a noisy place. And her camera didn't work and uh it's basically striking out all all the way around and her credibility was kind of shot and uh in the book rohit talks about things that really kill your trust and there were like four of them and one of them was this attitude of people who think i i just don't get this tech stuff or <laughs> i i don't you know this this isn't my thing i mean i have a a much loved brother who's like that where I speak to him once a month where my brothers and I have an LLC and we have to you know chat with each other and it's like this
0: isn't that hard <laughs> yeah know? and well, it, yeah. it's people understanding that etiquette and I, I mean I I know Rowett quite well um you probably know Rowett has a publishing company yes Idea and- Press Idea Press. In the first non-Rohit book they published was the first edition of Same Side Selling, and they published the second version as well. Oh, second edition as well. Yeah. God, I am the dumbest, slowest <laughs> learner.
1: I didn't, nah, re- I didn't realize that. You know what's funny? And I've talked to him about this. I've I interviewed people over the years who were had been published by Idea Press, and I started thinking, wow, these are really pretty good books. <laughs> And then after I'd interviewed Rohit about three or four times, because he would be the first guest every year, at least, to talk about his Trends book, and I noticed it was by Idea Press, and I mentioned that. And then he he said, yeah, yeah, Idea Press. He he still didn't tell me that he was the owner. (laughs) And then a few months later, I realized, I was like, man, he is the nicest guy in the world, (laughs) because he still didn't call me out on being a moron for not realizing
0: that that was one of his companies. So he, he is a super nice guy. Let me, let me give you a classic example of what goes on in the world of virtual meetings. So this is a note that I received about an hour ago from uh, one of, one of the uh, members, subscribers in the same sense selling Academy. And, and he writes, am I going to say who it is? Cause I don't want to, I don't yeah, want to do that. I thought too. you were
1: going to say it was an email from me. So I'm really relieved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it says, it says, thank you so much for sharing the professional appearance for a video call idea. I've worked from a home office for 15 years now. I still get up same time, shower, shave, get dressed like I'm going to the office because guess what? I am going to the office. The only difference is I walk to work under one roof. I get real frustrated with people in their tank tops, hair not combed, just got out of bed look. He's not talking about you, by the way. And this is not... <laughs> that is, I will get a haircut
1: that, at some point.
0: <laughs> that, that is not professional. I actually posted an internal blog to this effect when we first all went to shelter in place and home office. But sadly, I don't think it was read by anybody. Right. So part of it is this notion that people are like, if they were going to meet, let's say you take someone wealth management, if they were going to meet with a with a prospect in person, they would put on a suit and a tie and have a pocket square and they would look just like perfectly coiffed. And now they're meeting with someone electronically and it's like they're using their phone from their car and the kids are in the backseat. Now, if that's the only way you can do it, then... I give people – there's a a course I I produced called Growth in Crisis that I give people free access to. It's a three-part course, and it talks about different things to do. And, hey, if you're in that situation where maybe you're a single parent, your kids are home, there's nothing you can do about it, then how do you make it – make that okay? Because you can say to people, look, you know what? I apologize. I'm a single parent. My kids are here. Normally, they wouldn't be – I've given them a task. Hopefully, they won't be interrupted. They won't be interrupting us, but I just want to let you know that up front. Then, when it happens, people are like, okay, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Because that's just life and that's the way it works. It's interesting. When I recorded that, I need to re record it because I recorded it wearing, you know, button down shirt, sport coat, pocket square. And I had three people who said, you know, it's kind of the COVID thing. Yeah, I, I would lose the jacket. <laughs> and it's oh. just interesting that it's like, huh,
1: okay. I could do that. Interesting. Yes, I remember seeing an article in the Wall Street Journal a while back, and it was about the same thing we're talking about, about how to appear. And uh, <laughs> one part said, you really do need to wear pants. And I just thought that was funny. And they said, no, there was some meeting, somebody, the dog needed to get in. They stood up, and they weren't actually wearing any pants. They had a shirt on, and they walked away. And everyone was like, hey, uh, dude, we-, we can see you <laughs> on the camera. I yeah. so, uh, love it. Yeah, but I mean, just in in the manner in the manner of full transparency, I do wear like uh, you know athletic shorts, workout shorts, but I'll put on a nice button down shirt if I'm meeting with a a client or something like that, just because I I want to you know show some some Dude, respect.
0: I, I I can't unsee that.
1: <laughs> hey, I didn't say I was wearing a thong. I'm wearing, you know, they're like workout pants, you know, shorts. Oh, I'm wearing a leopard print thong <laughs> right. and a plaid
0: shirt. Yeah. And the problem no. is the patterns clash.
1: Yeah. No, I dress like the Tiger King at home. <laughs> and it takes me a long time to get all those earrings off of my ear before I uh, start a call and then brush my mullet back. No, that's <clears throat> now I've really, not only have I bored the, the listener, shark. yeah, I've now <laughs> repulsed them. And they've probably driven off the road, and I apologize for that. And uh, if you've been injured through the negligence of someone else, I'm sure there's a personal injury law firm in your uh, town that would be happy to to help you. So, Ian, is there anything that's really
0: worrying you in particular? You know what? the What's worrying me most is how many people are worried. What I mean by that is, is – This is, you know, this, this is a terrible virus and it's highly infectious and it's serious. And I think that in some cases we, we have sensationalized everything so that we already take a routine, a routine event and zero to 10, make it an 11. Mm -hmm. So when there actually is something that's pretty serious, we're taking that to 25. And so the the challenge right now is I see people saying, oh, well, we can't possibly reopen until there's a vaccine and a cure. And it's like, you know what? I think that as a nation, everyone agreed, hey, we're going to flatten this curve. And that way we protect the people most vulnerable and we make sure our hospitals aren't overloaded. And what people may not realize is that hospitals are having a ton of financial trouble right now not because of COVID, but because they're shut down and all of the money-making procedures they do aren't happening. So they're actually laying off people. And it's become this political divide now as to should we open or shouldn't we? And it's become this, this binary issue of either you want to kill people or you want to save people instead of, gee, you know what? If we exercise some, some – proactive measures, if we're conscientious, just maybe we can open things responsibly and not kill a whole bunch of people, either because of poverty or because of the disease. And I'm confident that we'll get out of this and we'll end up in a better place because of it. But man, it's, you know, right now it's become this political hot, hot potato instead of, it's like, you know, someone was commenting, they said, well, you know, you know, gee, Cuomo's doing an amazing job. And I said, you know what? I think Cuomo does a fantastic job communicating. Now, people on the other side will criticize, well, look, you know, Cuomo had, had nursing homes take in patients that tested positive for COVID, and that's what led to all these people dying. And that may be true, but what I would say is he and every other politician, every other health official made decisions based on the best information they had at the time. Which was changing quickly. Which was changing quickly. And I don't believe a single one of them thought to themselves, you know what? This will kill a lot of people. Let's do this. No, they right right then and there, what was probably happening was nursing homes said, we're not taking this patient. They tested positive. And then all of a sudden, you had people at risk of being homeless. And the government said, no, no, you can't discriminate against people just because they tested positive. You need to take these people. So they were probably thinking Oh, you can't treat these people unfairly. And people didn't connect the dots because at the time, people didn't think it was highly contagious. And, you know, so to me, it's like, look, either side could dig in on that issue. And the reality is that people are were faced with something they had never encountered before and were making the best decisions they could based on the information they had. And I believe that everybody who's involved in this has a goal of as few people dying as possible and having as as minimal repercussions in the economy negatively as possible. And it shouldn't be a divisive issue. So I just think that people have gotten kind of unhinged and just need to kind of, you know, get back to the same side, as they say.
1: Ah, I see what you <laughs> did there, author of Same Side Selling. Well, you could also argue that the divisiveness that was brewing has simply been uh, put on a high heat uh it's it's sped up you know this this pandemic is speeding up all kinds of changes that were already afoot i have found it so helpful from a mental health standpoint not to turn the television news on at all and i had not been paying much attention to it but now i'm really uh seeing the benefits of not doing that and now I, I I'm really careful not to go to certain websites. I, yeah, there's some, if there's a news website I can go to that's somewhat, uh, you know, balanced, not sensational, and basically reports on things that are at least 24 hours old. It's it's usually pretty good, <laughs> but yeah. uh, the the news media is, of course, unfortunately rewarded for being uh, fast rather than than accurate, as well as playing to the fears and. Uh, anxieties and and anger of, of whoever their audience is. Ian, before we go, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about this new course you have because it's you 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 were bringing it online before this pandemic, but now it's probably um, a lifesaver for a lot of companies where people can't bring you in and they need to brush up on some of their skills.
0: Yeah so the 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 same side selling academy it's really we've kind of built out this whole ecosystem and it's there there's a monthly coaches corner where we give people coaching advice they can submit questions throughout the throughout the um the month and then I address those all and we record those and those go into the system every single lesson every single topic gets full text transcriptions that you can search for any topic. So let's say someone was going to meet with a potential client and you know, they already have an existing vendor. You can pull up the, the um, same site selling Academy on your phone and type in existing vendor and see the videos related to selling in an environment where there's an existing vendor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there there's, you know, there's a core lesson. There's a section that I call outside experts, which is, uh, friends of mine and people I greatly respect who have amazing expertise in specific topics and they cover a lesson in those areas. And there's a section we call the objection clinic, which is here are the most common things that people face. And every month there are additional videos that get added. As part of that, I created a course called growth in crisis and in the growth in crisis um, course we give to people for free because the first thing I say in growth and crisis is be helpful, not opportunistic. It would have been kind of slimy to then charge for that class. So <laughs> would have been a little why. hypocritical. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would have been a journalist at that point. So, um, so, so I decided instead to make that for free. And so, um, and, and we can, we can share with your audience. Um, you give, you give me a code. Or a, or a root of a code, and I'll give you a number that we can use for people. Um, so you tell me what you want to call it, and I'll give and, and we'll create that code so that anyone can use that code and get access to that for free. Okay, like marketing book? Like So we're going to have it be marketing book one. So the code will be marketing book one. So people will go to samesidesellingacademy.com slash marketing book, and then when it prompts you for the code, you will type in marketing book one, all lowercase, and you'll have free access to it. Anybody who's listened to this. Oh, wow. Well, super. And I'll make sure to include
1: those instructions in this episode's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. And I believe you said they'll all get a a bottle of that wine. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. It's okay. I've got some wine downstairs. It's in a box um, with a vacuum sealed bag inside. Hey, you know,
0: <laughs> it's all good.
1: It, it's 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 going well here. Um no, it's it's great. Well, listen, I appreciate you um making that very generous offer. That's enormously helpful. And so people can learn more about you at ianaltman.com and then the book website is same sideselling.com, but same sideselling academy is where people can go for that promo code. And seriously, right. listener, I didn't know he was going to do that. So just the kind of guy he is. Well, listen, Ian Altman, I really appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you and uh, talk a little bit about the book that I liked so much. And I hope that uh, you and your family stay uh, safe and healthy and sane. And thanks again for coming on Authors in Quarantine Getting
0: Cocktails. Douglas, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on.